Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We hope it's a good day for you. Lots going on, lots to talk about on today's program. First, thanks to the folks at Missouri State Fair, Missouri Farm Bureau. Had a great visit there yesterday, and I hope you enjoyed hearing about the some of the ag issues that uh, Missouri farmers are are concerned about and, and what's going on this week at the Missouri State Fair. So we had a great time there. And now today we focus on several things, uh, markets obviously, weather certainly, but also some, uh, I guess we could say, ag in the courtroom issues once again. We'll be talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, in a few moments uh, about some legal action uh, taken again over the E15 uh, issue so that we'll get the latest on that and reaction from the biofuels industry, the ethanol industry, about the Biden administration's appeal to OPEC to pump more oil. We'll talk about that and more later, but uh, we're going to start it off with Todd Neely with DTN. And Todd, that's uh, kind of where we start, ag in the courtroom and the uh, biofuels yeah. issue going back to court. Yeah, you know, Mike, I think, uh, you know, and this is, uh, it's it's an important step because, uh, there's a number of things that ethanol and ag can do to uh, to maybe get E15 back on track, and one of those was to ask for a full hearing uh, before the D.C. Circuit Court. Uh, it was the D.C. It was a three-judge panel of that court that uh, essentially ruled that the E15 rule uh, was was not legal, and so um, ag and biofuels they decided to go back to that court and ask for a full hearing, which would be uh, I believe there are 11 judges on the full circuit. Um, and it's really, it's really a tough thing to get to. Uh, typically, the, the D.C. Circuit doesn't uh, rehear these cases. I mean, it's a rare circumstance when they do. Uh, so this is the first step. Perhaps after this will be an appeal to the Supreme Court. Uh, but we'll see where it goes, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a certain next step that they had to take. Yep. And meanwhile, and we'll talk more about this with Jeff Cooper later, but uh, what I think is just was a ridiculous move by the uh, – Biden administration to ask OPEC to pump more oil uh, when the administration has, you know, kind of done about everything it could to cut our oil production, plus the fact that it will not fully support ethanol, which would have certainly eased the uh, the pain at the pump that many motorists are feeling. Uh, they've they've turned a blind eye to that and just push all 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 forward on uh, electric vehicles. I mean, all of this. I mean, it just. It just doesn't make sound policy at all, uh, and and now I guess OPEC's saying no, we we don't see any need to to produce more to to help you out here. So I mean, it's it just yeah. it's just a big mess. Yeah, Mike, I agree. I think uh, you know we're at a we're at a situation here where you know we're seeing the prices at the pump go up, and and one of the things that ethanol has always provided, it's always been you know not only the octane enhancement and those sorts of things, and all the environmental. Uh, benefits of ethanol in terms of air quality, but it's it's really been uh, a fuel that's helped keep uh, prices at the pump at a at a at a good affordable level. Um, you know, and I and I don't know what the administration is, is really thinking. You know, at this point, um, in in the Biden administration, we've really not seen a lot of support for the biofuels industry. I think it's something that may have caught quite a few people off guard. I think a lot of people thought that. Uh, the Biden administration would definitely ramp up ethanol production going forward. And, uh, you know, we're still waiting on a number of things. You know, the RFS volumes, uh, 21 and 22, uh, there's a lot of things that uh, the administration has not done for the ethanol industry. And so this is, uh, I guess this is another one of those in a long list of, of things that uh, have really harmed biofuels. A lot of questions about Biden administration policies these days uh, on this issue and certainly many more. Um, but the fact that not only are you not <laughs> doing something that could help achieve the climate goals you've set by fully uh, backing and encouraging ethanol and biofuels production, but now you're, you say you, you're concerned about the price at the pump, but you won't, again, <laughs> bolster and, and right. uh, support an industry that helps lower prices. So it, it's just hard to figure. All right, back to ag in the courtroom. Um Bayer filing a petition to the Supreme Court on the Roundup situation. What can you tell us there? 
yeah, you know, Bear announced uh, here in recent weeks that it had a plan going forward to basically uh, reduce its uh, its risk, you know, along the way going forward. You know, this these Roundup lawsuits have really cost Bear uh, a lot of money and a lot of effort. Uh, it's really hurt the company's stock. I mean, there's a lot of things that are at stake when it comes to Roundup. Um, you know, the, the appeal to the Supreme Court comes at a time when Bear has already decided it's going to move uh, the domestic Roundup products off the shelf uh, come 2023. This is not going to affect agriculture, but it's kind of a mixed message here in a way because, uh, you know, it's wanting to keep Roundup available to farmers, but it's, it's wanting to pull it from the shelves of people who use it in their yard and places like that. Um, so it's it's really kind of an interesting situation Bear is in. It's making a case that uh, Roundup is safe and it wants the Supreme Court to see it that way. Uh, the same hand, it's it's, it's uh, beginning to, to divest and move away from the product in some in some aspects, and so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. You know, we've got another situation where EPA itself is being challenged on a decision it made on, glyph- on glyphosate, uh, which is the, the the chemical in Roundup, um, and so now it too faces some court challenges. Uh, there are agri- there are environmental groups, excuse me, that want to uh, to take uh, Roundup completely out of the picture, and so. Uh, here we are. We'll see what the Supreme Court does. Uh, I think this probably is a is a case that the court probably will take, but it, you know who knows. Yeah, I mean, it seems like issue after issue, ag issue winds up in the courts. Yeah, it really does. And and you know, Mike, I think a lot of it too. Uh, you know, when you have the administration and you have other, you know, you have agencies on the within the administration, you know, sending these mixed signals about different things in ag, you know, whether it's biofuels or, or chemicals. I, I think really the court is kind of the last frontier in, in a way that, uh, you know, it's it's the last place that uh, a lot of people seem to, to be able to go and try to find solutions. Which gets politicized, too, because, uh, okay, who appointed uh, the judges and which way do they lean? I mean, so that's political as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you're right. I think a lot of it, you know, it goes back to politics. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the decision makers, what they decide to do and what they decide not to do is really what determines a lot of uh, a lot of these things and, and directions that we see. And I think um, I don't see that changing. In fact, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more of these, uh, these situations in court. Yeah, I think so. And all this, we haven't even mentioned the infrastructure. <laughs> we don't even know how that's going to work out, right? No, you're right. I think... Uh, you know, there's a lot out there to be had in that. I think, uh, you know, rural areas could really benefit from an ad, or excuse me, from an infrastructure investment from the federal government. But uh, we just just kind of in a wait and see mode on that, I guess. Yeah. What's the price tag? What strings are attached to it? That 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 remains to be seen. All right, Todd. Thanks for helping us sort through all this. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Todd Neely with DTN. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll be doing that at the bottom of the hour. Coming up next, a look at the weather. DTN meteorologist John Baranek joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Lance Zimmerman with Cattle Facts. There's good prices on the board right now for cattle producers if they're feeding corn. It could be a little bit of a tricky situation right now, but as you alluded to, there still is plenty of opportunity out there for profitability if you're smart about your marketing. The rule in cattle feeding, right, is usually buy your profitability. Uh, both on the corn and the cattle side and the last 18 12 to 18 months have been tough on on a corn position for cattle feeders been great if you're the one grazing the corn right we're in a situation right now with corn basically sitting there in the the lower end of the five dollar range for a lot of producers that's probably an area some are taking some positions on at least trying to establish a, a floor price you know making sure they at least have some corn secured right now um, and we'll see what happens as we near harvest time, see if we put in some harvest time lows. But hopefully the worst of the weather threats are behind us on the corn side. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. John, we've talked... uh, pretty much all summer about these locked-in weather patterns and not much change in them. Do you see any change anytime soon? Yeah, we're actually going through uh, one uh, now. We, and honestly, we did uh, last week. So we saw uh, some pretty good rainfall across a lot of good uh, for, for much of the eastern Corn Belt last week, and that was actually due to the ridge breaking down uh, in the west and allowing some uh, Troughs to move into the central portions of the of Canada and the U.S. This week, that ridge is breaking back down, and we're seeing them more towards the west. So uh, we will get uh, better chances for rainfall actually across the western Corn Belt coming up here. Okay, so those weren't isolated incidents. It's an actual breaking down of these ridges that we've seen that kind of held everything in place for so long. We're actually seeing those systems break down now. Yes, so the, the, the ridge that has been so strong all summer is, is now weak. It's still there, and it's, it's, but it's more pulsing than, uh, than its stiff, uh, it's, uh, you know, what it's been through for much of the summer. Uh, it's not very strong anymore, so it's allowing a lot of these uh, troughs that have been kind of going over the top of it uh, across northern Canada to dip back down into the western U.S. now. So that's a good sign for active weather across the U.S. over the next couple of weeks at least. Yeah, a lot of it won't help crops this year that have already been damaged, but it's much-needed rainfall starting to get into some areas. How widespread do you see this rainfall? Uh, it's going to be widespread over the northern plains for sure, and that's going to start really here uh, when we get to Thursday, but more likely Friday and Saturday. This first system that moves through, uh, there's a lot of heat and humidity out there in the northern plains right now. Uh, temperatures are up near 100 degrees. That's not going to change until this system moves through. So there's a lot of moisture and heat for this uh, system to work with. It will produce some good thunderstorm activity. Uh, there's, it's thunderstorm, so inevitably there's going to be some spots that get missed, but it looks very close to as widespread as you can get for, for uh, right, uh, thunderstorm clusters moving across the northern plains. And that's just the first system, too. We have two more following right in its wake. Uh, one's kind of Sunday into Monday time frame, and another 
coming through kind of early to mid next week that should help fill in some of those gaps across the northern plains. As those systems move into the, the uh, kind of east of the Mississippi River, they're going to lose their, their punch a little bit, so we're not going to see as much widespread precipitation across the eastern Corn Belt. But uh, the western Corn Belt will really be happy about getting some more rainfall for sure. Okay, you mentioned temperatures, and as you said, very hot in some places, but other parts of the Midwest uh, have seen cooler than normal August temperatures. So far, a little bit, yeah. Uh, the systems that kind of moved through last week uh, outside of the, the, the hot and humid temperatures kind of across the southern half of the uh, the Midwest there. Um, as, but uh, over the, 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 the north there, especially in Wisconsin, Michigan, some portions of of Illinois and Indiana and Ohio as well have, have really seen temperatures kind of right at or just a little bit below normal. Um, and we're not going to see much change in that. We'll see some, you know, better uh, temperatures coming up here, especially as we get into the weekend ahead of that system that moves through. But uh, they'll, they'll come right back down again. So uh, temperature is really kind of moderate through, through the rest of August as well. Talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. So, John, let's talk about through fall, through August uh, into September. I mean, these changes in the ridges that you've talked about, is this setting up a, a, a change for fall weather as well? Uh, probably not. Uh, our forecast right now uh, is for hot, or, or not necessarily hot, but above normal temperatures all the way through the fall across uh, much of the country. Um, now that's predicated on a lot of model output and uh, we're going through a change in, in, uh, in the La Nina pattern. So we, last uh, winter we were in La Nina, a strong La Nina. We came back up into neutral category. That's where we're at right now, but we're headed back towards another La Nina. And uh, as we move that way, we may see some changes in, uh, in our pattern a little bit more frequently than models are kind of suggesting. So while we do uh, expect some above-normal temperatures throughout the fall, probably see some variable precipitation and, and a variable pattern with that. So we may see some um, variable temperatures where we, we get uh, some really hot uh, stretches and some uh, rather cool stretches as well. We're going La Nina to La Nina? That's correct. We did that again uh, in 2011 and 2012. So if you can remember those crop years, uh, we're kind of doing the same, same bounce. And that's not atypical. Uh, I think... I don't know the exact statistics, but I think about 70% of uh, La Nina near years are followed by a second La Nina. So uh, a second La Nina after after another one is, is not uncommon at all. We've got some uh, tropical storm activity. Uh, does that send moisture very far uh, inward, or is that pretty much on the coast? Uh, that depends on how far into the Gulf of Mexico they can get. Um, really what we're looking at now is, you know, Fred came in and that, uh, into the East coast and that'll be moving through the East coast, not spreading a whole lot of precipitation or moisture westward. Um, Grace, which is expected to, to go through the Gulf of Mexico is expected to go through the Southern Gulf of Mexico and actually emerge into the Pacific. So that won't be helping out bringing any moisture. Uh, and, uh, the, the other one, Henry, out there near Bermuda, should be kind of stuck in the Atlantic, so that won't actually move into um, into the U.S. at all. Uh, any additional storms that kind of develop here over the course of the fall will be kind of battling uh, the, the changing weather pattern. It's going to kind of really depend on where the highs and lows, the upper-level highs and lows are at the time. So you typically, uh, in what our long-range forecasters are calling for, is uh, it's more of a trough over the eastern U.S. That kind of tends to deflect those storms away from the U.S. And maybe if it's a if it's a it's a landfall, it'll be brief along the east coast and kind of work its way outward. But it tends to deflect things off to the east and kind of think like take a, a grace path where it goes kind of through the southern Gulf of Mexico and doesn't really bring a whole lot of moisture into the middle of the country. All right, having some technical difficulties, but uh, back with John Baranek, DTM Meteorologist. John, I was asking, what's your winter forecast look like? Yeah, our winter. So we're going into a uh, La Nina winter, and usually that means uh, for the at least the, the northern stretches of the country here, typically colder 
and but no real significant signal as far as precipitation. So, I mean, we've seen drought happen uh, and occur across much of the the northern plains and western corn belts here. Uh, as if if we don't really see the good enough moisture during the fall to really eliminate a lot of that, and chances are we'll probably not see an entire elimination of that. We won't see it through the uh, the winter as well. So uh, colder is is likely uh, over the Corn Belt while we stick with kind of normal type normalish precipitation. No real signal there. Takes a severe winter to make up those shortfalls in precipitation as dry as some of those areas are. Right, yeah, it's going to take a lot. We typically, even when you, when you say an above normal winter, uh, you're, you're talking about, you know, a couple of inches of liquid precipitation equivalent over the normal. That's not going to really eliminate uh, a longstanding drought. So uh, it'll take either the, the fall precipitation to do it, uh, or this, the, the coming spring to do it. And we'll have to see kind of how, how fast La Nina sticks around or, or if it goes away quickly in the spring to see if we can maybe flip the script on, on the, the pattern here and, and get better rainfall into the Corn Belt next year. Yep, that will be a big story we'll be watching for sure. John, thanks a lot. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Have a good day. John Baranek. DTN Meteorologist. All right, up next, Jeff Cooper, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Get his reaction to the Biden administration asking OPEC to pump more oil and the latest on the legal action on E15. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Monday's daily export notice of 132,000 tons of U.S. beans to unknown destinations marked the eighth consecutive day of bean export sales. On the domestic side, however, bean usage marked its second disappointing month. The July U.S. NOPA crush out Monday came in 4 million bushels below the average trade estimate and 1 million bushels below the lowest estimate. In last week's USDA report, U.S. crush was reduced for the end crop year as well as the new crop year. Yesterday's crush estimate was smaller than the recent USDA forecast would indicate. On the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading a fraction lower at 564 and a fraction. The December contract up a penny and a half cent at 570 and a fraction. For soybeans, the September contract up four and a fraction at 1380 and a fraction. November up five cents at 1373 and a fraction. For wheats, Chicago wheat September down 13 and a fraction at 746 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September down 14 and a half cent at 927 and a half cent. The December contract down 13 at 914. For livestock, box beef prices increased substantially again with choice cuts up $4.97 and select cuts up $5.53. The commitment of traders report showed funds as net buyers of 906 contracts bringing their net long positions to 68800 and 12. 
For livestock futures on the Board of Trade this morning, the October contract down 22 at 128.90, the December contract up 2 cents at 134.45. For feeder cattle, September down 22 at 161.77, the October contract down 5 at 164.77. For lean hogs, October down a dollar at 88 dollars even, the December contract down 60 at 81.25. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back as we talk a number of issues here, uh, including what's going on on the biofuels front. And we're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, Jeff, before we get to your reaction to the Biden administration's call to OPEC to pump more oil, and that's what we're going to talk a lot about, I I want to get the very latest on this legal action that you're now part of uh, concerning the E-15 decision. Bring us up to date. On July 2nd, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, issued a decision in a case that the oil refiners had brought against EPA the refiners had sued EPA over their 2019 regulation that finally had allowed year-round sales of E15. Uh, that 2019 rulemaking by EPA finally cleared away that summertime ban on E15 and allowed retailers to sell the fuel year-round. So we were actually in the third summer, or the third year of, of uninterrupted E15 sales, and then this court decision came down that, that threw out that EPA rule and uh, threatens to, to send us back uh, to that situation where retailers can't sell E15 during the summer months. So we are not just going to lay down and accept that, uh, that court ruling. Uh, yesterday, along with the National Corn Growers Association and Growth Energy, we filed for a rehearing uh, in the D.C. Circuit Court uh, and asked all of the judges assigned to that court to review uh, this case we feel like the three-judge panel that, that looked at this the first time got it wrong. And uh, so we, we hope that the full court will take up this appeal and, and will rehear the case and, and come to a different conclusion than that three-judge panel did. And, and frankly, Mike, the, the, the primary goal is to get us through this summer uh, without retailers needing to stop selling E15. We need to get through September 15th uh in order for that to happen and then we're going to have to think about a more permanent solution for for next summer so back to the to the courts and so we kind of start the clock over again here right yeah that's right so so now we uh we wait for the court to decide whether they will grant our petition and and rehear the case um we would expect a decision uh pretty quickly out of the court on that um, and then, you know, hopefully, like I said, if they decide to rehear the case, that will certainly take uh, several months to unfold and would certainly get us through the end of, of this summer. Uh, if, on the other hand, they reject our petition for a rehearing, uh, you know, then it's a little less clear uh, where things go from, from here. And, and we believe uh, EPA, regardless of what the court says, still has the ability to exercise 
what's called enforcement discretion, uh, whereby they would tell retailers, hey, look, we're, we're close enough to the end of the summer that we're not going to require you to stop selling E15 or change anything you're doing. Um, so it's uh, just the timing of all this is, is creating some real uncertainty and, and confusion in the marketplace. And like I said, we're just trying to help retailers get through the summer without having to, uh, uh, to bag their E15 pumps. Are you hearing anything from EPA? We're not hearing uh, much from EPA. We're, we're, you know, still waiting on, on, on EPA to make several decisions. Uh, would, would like, like I said, would like to hear from them on their intentions with E15 this summer. Would like to hear from them on when the 2021 and 2022 RVO rules will be proposed. Um, you know, they've got some waiver requests. They got the small refinery exemption petitions. There's, you know, I think four or five dozen of those things that are still pending. So lots of decisions that still need to be made at EPA to provide the marketplace with a little more certainty uh, and stability moving forward. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, Jeff, um, <laughs> this it's just even hard to kind of get your mind around what the Biden administration is doing here on, with energy. Um, they've as you've just pointed out they're not moving forward with uh, biofuels or fully supporting the biofuels industry um, they're pushing electric vehicles um, they've taken several steps to kind of diminish uh, fossil fuel production in this country but yet they go to OPEC and ask them to pump more oil because our gas prices are too high I mean this makes no sense at all uh, Mike it's it's a real head scratcher for us and you know, uh, last week, gas prices hit a seven-year high, and the national average for regular-grade gasoline last week was $3.17 a gallon. We haven't seen it that high uh, since 2014. That's about a dollar a gallon higher than where we were a year ago. And so, obviously, there's growing concern about these higher gas prices and, and other inflationary pressures that we're seeing in the economy. And so the, the, the Biden administration, the White House, is concerned about all this. And so it's not surprising that they are looking for solutions to keep pump prices in check and, and stop you know, uh, gas prices from going even higher. What is surprising is the solution they're proposing. As you mentioned, last week Biden's National Energy uh, Security Advisor um, suggested that the best way to contain higher gas prices is to have the OPEC plus cartel increase oil production. And so they're basically calling on Saudi Arabia and Russia and Iraq and Iran to, to pump more oil in an attempt to reduce pressure on gas prices here in the U.S. And, and we think, you know, not only does that go against everything that the Biden administration has been advocating for, uh, it's just something that's not going to work. We've seen uh, time and time again in the past that, that relying on OPEC um, to deliver price relief for American consumers is just not a formula for success. We, yeah, we've been down this road before, and we've spent all these years lessening our dependence on foreign oil, and renewable fuels yep. a big part of how we were able to do it, how we were able to break off uh, that dependence, and, and now to turn the clock back and try to go back to failed policies of the past makes no sense. It, it doesn't make any sense at all, and in fact, the, the RFS was expanded as part of the Energy Independence and Security Act. And the primary purpose of that legislation was to enhance uh, energy security, reduce reliance on imported petroleum, and, and really make a down payment and, and an investment in domestically produced renewable fuels. And that program has worked. And by the way, uh, then-Senator Biden, a senator from Delaware at that time, uh, supported the RFS2 and the legislation that created it. He, he, and he voted for the original uh, Energy Policy Act in 2005 that established the first RFS. So it, it seems crazy to us that this administration would turn back the clock and, and call on, you know, the oil fields of Saudi Arabia and Russia instead of the farm fields of our own country uh, to bolster energy security and provide price relief to consumers. We know ethanol costs less than gasoline at the wholesale level. Blending more ethanol is going to bring down the price of gasoline. That's a solution that's been proven uh, over and over again in the past, and, and it would have an immediate impact. So let's focus on that 
rather than than hoping and expecting uh, that OPEC is is going to help us out. Yeah, you got a problem. You've got the answer, or at least a big part of the answer to the problem, sitting right here in front of you at home. And you go to some other country and, and ask them, other countries ask them to help you. I, I don't get that at all. Yeah. So we do hear there's this uh, going to be this push on renewables for like aviation fuel and things like What are you hearing on, on, the, on that front? Well, we, we know, Mike, that, um, that ethanol is a very promising candidate uh, as a feedstock for uh, lower carbon aviation fuels. There, there's an ethanol to jet fuel technology that has been around for decades. Uh, the the economics of, of that technology continue to improve. There's been a lot of investment into uh, that process and a lot of refining of that process. Uh, so we do believe that, that ethanol could play a significant role in really decarbonizing aviation. And, and I'm sure a lot of folks don't know that, that you know, we, we burn... 30 billion gallons uh, or more of jet fuel uh, in this country every year, and it's a, it's a leading source of greenhouse gas emissions. And there really hasn't been much, uh, you know, much effort put into reducing the emissions from, uh, from aviation. So we do see a role for ethanol uh, in, in that whole movement towards sustainable aviation fuels. There's a lot of work that, that remains to be done to make it more cost-effective. Uh, and it also, you know, there's a lot of policy work that remains to be done. Um, in fact, there's a couple proposals in Congress today uh, that would establish a tax credit for low-carbon, sustainable aviation fuels. Um, and so we're keeping a close eye on how that legislation develops, and we want to make sure that, it's, uh, that it helps set ethanol up for success uh, in, in a, you know, a new market and a new use for ethanol uh, moving forward. Yeah, we got a lot of people that are telling us how concerned they are about the emissions coming out of the planes, and they're the ones flying the planes all over the world telling us about that. So that I, I guess the next yeah. thing is maybe they'll come up with a battery-powered plane. Is that next? Well, I won't be. I don't think I'll be riding on that plane anytime no. soon, Mike. <laughs> I, 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 you know, there are there are certain trans forms of transportation that are going to be a lot harder to electrify than others. And, and mm. planes are certainly one of them. When you think about the weight of these batteries and, and keeping a charge and, and just all the other factors, I, I think uh, liquid fuels are going to be powering our, our airplanes for, for quite some time. Jeff, with all this uncertainty in the marketplace, is where we started off talking about with E15. What is the, uh, the state of the industry right now as far as plants, production, uh, where we are with the availability at pumps at retail stations across the country, can it give us an overview? Well, you know the the industry is is doing okay today, Mike. Um, you know we we obviously had a long road back from from COVID. Um, we I would say much of the industry has recovered. We've got most plants uh, back online and and producing at close to normal rates today. Uh, but we're certainly not where we were prior to the pandemic and, and sort of 2018, 2019 levels of, of production uh, or demand. And, and we're seeing uh, a little more softness in the, the export market than we'd like to see. Um, we're not seeing the uh, strength in U.S. gasoline consumption yet that we'd like to see. We have seen some promising signs recently. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is things remain below pre-pandemic levels um, in terms of production and, and demand, uh, which is why it's even more important that we get higher levels of, of ethanol out there. We get more E15 stations, more E85 out there. We are continuing to see progress in E15. We've got about 26, 2,700 stations today across the U.S. that are offering E15. Most of those stations also offer E85 for flex fuel vehicles. But this recent court decision that we started out talking about uh, really threatens that expansion. And now you've got a bunch of retailers um, kind of sitting on their hands waiting to see how all this ends up before investing that next dollar into E15 or, or higher levels of ethanol. So um, need some resolution on some of these legal issues. And, and like I said, we desperately need EPA uh, to get some of these decisions made so we can move forward as an industry. Yeah, just leaves you shaking your head about some of the decisions that are made and leaves you wondering about the decisions that 
evidently have not been made, and we continue to wait. Thanks, Jeff. Good to talk with you. Yep. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're discussing giving beef calves a good start with Cash Yant, nutrition consultant with CHS Animal Nutrition. Cash, it's of course been dry across much of beef country this year. How could limited grazing for beef cows affect their calves this summer? Dry seasons really present us in, in the beef cow uh, industry with, with a lot of challenges. First, obviously, is just milk production. Uh, reduced dry matter into that cow results in reduced milk production for that calf. Um, now, as those cows mature, of course, their intake of the milk be begins to decrease and their diet is replaced with dry matter. Uh, but if there's none for mom, then there's probably not very much left for the calf, right? Uh, and both of those then result in immunity challenge. All of that marries into the situation of having reduced weaning weights in the fall. And here in Montana, uh, that's what a lot of our industry gets paid on is pounds of beef on that truck or in that feedlot when weaning comes through. So, uh, you know, the immunity is the biggest challenge that I would say. Uh, pneumonia we can get through this summer as it becomes drier, we get dust pneumonia. Um, if they're not getting very much milk through the summer, those passive antibodies to be able to keep the immune system kind of in check and at work for us is, is also great, greatly reduced. Um, and yeah, it's just one big picture of the opportunity for probably a negative impact financially for these producers. So when does creep feeding provide the best return on investment? When those cattle are eating about 1% of body weight, you know, so 200 pound calf eating two pounds of creep feed a day uh, can help extend that, that forage that we have out there um, while delivering trace minerals. Uh, you know, calves are pretty social animals. So having the creep feeder that's going to be there to deliver the copper, zinc, the manganese, those that help spike the immunity um, can really be beneficial in those drier years as well. Cash Yant, nutrition consultant with CHS Animal Nutrition. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, before we get into what's in there for infrastructure, it's kind of set up to get the $1.2 trillion for roads and ports and waterways, bridges and broadband. To get that, they're going to have to pass another $3.5 trillion. As much as I understand the need for the physical infrastructure, if you add all that other on there, it seems like a pretty high price to pay. The worry with the economy is that we're actually going to be overheating rather than underheating 
asking, and a, a legitimate question to ask is, is this the time to keep adding trillions of dollars of spending on, onto Americans? What normal people would do is they would say, great, we've got an area of consensus and agreement, let's pass it. But no, what Washington, D.C. does is they say, we've got an area of consensus, let's attach some controversial things onto it and make the passage of the consensus issue contingent upon the passage of a controversial portfolio. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So, Matt, we've had the August crop report. we got people out walking fields now and giving estimates. What are the markets focusing on? Well, I think as far as corn is concerned, you know, most people thought, uh, wow, that was a big bullish number last week, and obviously that's kind of ran its course. Uh, it seems to me like the, the bigger focus, of course, whenever it comes to weather, would be from the soybean side of the equation. Yeah, you want to see this corn market finish well, but as far as I'm concerned, I think corn right now has just kind of ran out of buying enthusiasm, if you will. We were kind of in a trade range chopping around around the 550 level for quite some time. It looks like we may have moved that up 15 to 20 cents with the report. Uh, but as far as the general theme of the market, it's still a chop sideways, nothing to get too excited about type market. A lot of grain going into bins. I mean, are you recommending storage? That's a good question. I think going into this fall, you know, one of the biggest questions is, do I, so, do I store 570 uh, basis of board corn? You know, as a producer that's in my part of the world or your part of the world, we're going to have some pretty salty yields. And, and I would assume uh, whenever you run the numbers on what your net profit margins look like, it's going to be pretty tough to snub your nose there. But at the same time, is there going to be opportunity later? I do think there will be opportunity later. Uh, now, how much do I want to store? Uh, in my opinion, if you want to store, oh, I don't know, a third to a half of your crop, that's okay. But on a good chunk of that, I would have some sort of protection in place simply due to the fact that we could have some sort of black swan event. Yeah, demand's good. Carryouts are going to be tight. I think we're going to be heavily reliant, and we're going to need prices to stay as such that the U.S. producer planted. It's hard to get last year out of your memory. It's 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 still so fresh, and we're talking for, for folks that have a crop to sell. And we know that we again we know that a lot of folks are really hurting this year because of weather and won't have that much to sell. But if you've got a crop, you're thinking about okay, last year we got this rally at. You know, I had higher prices at harvest time. We sold on that rally, and then prices just kept going up, and we wish we hadn't sold so soon. And so th that's kind of still in farmers' minds a little bit, isn't it? Well, I think it's definitely in farmers' minds, but can you expect another $2 rally? You know, that's the thing is that uh, it's possible, quite frankly. When you look at the charts, you know, making a run to an all-time high situation would be possible, but you would need to see some major weather issues once again out of the southern hemisphere. You'd need to see, uh, for instance, the U.S. producer having some issues with the 22 crop. And then I think added to that, for you to make a run like that, you're going to need major export business from China once again. I do think you're going to get that export business from China once again. We're looking at a La Nina developing again, and last year that didn't work out so hot for the Brazilian producer. So we need to pay very close attention as to when those soybeans get planted. If they get planted a little bit late, we know that that Suprina crop could go on the ground late, which again is a recipe for disaster. Uh, but at this stage of the game, I think that expecting a $2 rally, you know, it's probably a fairly low percentage bet. Wheat has become very interesting because we don't have the huge global stocks uh, pushing down the markets that we've seen for so long. Do you think we'll see more wheat acres moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard not to see more wheat acres. Whenever you look out to, uh, you know, uh, 22, July 22 at 730 level, as far as uh, Chicago's concerned, you know, and then you know, KC wheat are pretty similar levels. And then, of course, Minneapolis wheat, uh, you've been looking at $9 wheat. And so uh, there's no doubt that the producer is going to take a close look. You know, for instance, in uh, uh, the southern half of Illinois, uh, you know, which we've got a lot of folks in that part of the world, 
there's a lot of double crop beans that go in the ground after wheat. That rotation has been the most profitable rotation in Illinois for several years running. So it's pretty tough to snub your nose at $7.5 wheat or anything in that ballpark. So I do think that that acreage is going to be as such it's going to keep us from this 100 million acre corn talk. So uh, I think it's a really good thing to see that kind of a rising tide lifts all boats type situation because you've got strong wheat, you've got strong corn, milo, you name it. Uh, cotton prices are strong. Everyone's going to be vying for acreage again this next spring. So we're going to be watching closely, of course, harvest results, but we're going to watch closely too weather patterns this fall and winter to see is does this drought area keep growing or do we see it backing off is do those dry areas get some rain i mean those are big questions heading into next year yeah absolutely you know last fall we had a nice dry fall if you will to where a lot of people were able to get field work done but i think we started setting the tone for kind of what we're in right now and so if you're a producer in a drought stricken area obviously you want to see some moisture in short order and Hopefully that's what we're going to see as we get closer to the fall time frame. But uh, uh, definitely need to alleviate some of that drought stress because it's certainly going to be hard to get past. It's just tough on a year like this if you don't have any subsoil moisture to go through a dry period uh, because you just don't have any reserves to go back on. So you see China continuing to buy big? I do. You know, these bean sales every morning, we're and we're not caught up by any means as far as new crop beans are concerned. Uh, but it's certainly that time of year whenever they're going to be buying beans more so than corn. Uh, most of the people that we talk to, uh, multinationals, if you will, bigger type companies, feel pretty strongly based upon their sources that the Chinese will buy uh, more corn than what they did this marketing year. Uh, that might be a bit of a stretch for people to think right now. They're around 10 million tons of sales uh, uh, from us towards them so far. But, you know, would they triple that? I think it's a potential possibility. Uh, it's just probably not the right timing for them to be picking up on corn sales just yet. When are you going to start harvest in East Central Illinois? Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to obviously go to the Farm Progress Show, and then I think after that it's probably going to be another week to two weeks. It seems to me like this rapid pace that we thought we were seeing has backed off just a shade. You know, mm -hmm. we've had some cooler nights, and I don't know. I think that by the middle of the month we'll be rolling in earnest. Yeah, it's kind of slowed down a little bit. I thought we were headed towards maybe an earlier harvest, but it, it has slowed down. So we will see and see you at the Farm Progress Show in a couple weeks. Absolutely, bud. Thanks for having me. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. That wraps it up for today. More on the markets tomorrow. Also, uh, we'll talk some cattle industry priorities uh, for the coming year. Keep you up to date on all the news as well. Lots going on. Thank you for joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.